Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32 this morning as we continue to journey on and look at these stories in the life of Jacob. Here today we are skipping ahead a little bit from where we were last week. We had seen Jacob last week fleeing from his uh, brother Esau going on a 500-mile journey in order to get a wife. He has now gotten two wives, and he is on his return trip back. But as we come into this passage here, we have seen Jacob, who has been living his life in self-sufficiency, and he has been living his life in the midst of the crises that his own self-determination and self-sufficiency and selfishness have brought upon him. And here today we come to a passage, probably one of the most famous passages in the life of Jacob, of the passage of he and God wrestling together. And as we go into this passage, I would just begin by asking you, is that have you ever wrestled with God? Have you ever wrestled with God? Have you ever struggled with God where it wasn't simply that you were wrestling with an issue in your life? Or that you were wrestling against a struggle that was going on inside of you. But you knew, and maybe you know right now, that it is God himself that you are wrestling with. Let's turn and take a look at Genesis chapter 32. Jacob is by himself. He is getting ready to meet his brother Esau, who is coming at him with 400 men. Says the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of that thigh. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we come here before this morning. For some of us, Lord, this is a very ordinary thing. We do it week in and week out. And Lord, we ask that this morning, in the midst of the ordinary, that you would do something extraordinary. Father, that you would send your spirit in this time and in these midst to grab hold of our souls and our hearts and our lives, that we would turn and cling to you. Father, we ask that you would do this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. One, two, three, go. We were at a summer camp, and we were riding the zip line off of the top of the mountain. And the way that the zip line worked is that you would climb up the mountain, which was not a huge mountain, but enough to qualify. Climb up the huge mountain, then you would climb to the top of a telephone pole, hook yourself into the zip line, and one, two, three, everyone would shout, go, and you hurl yourself off of the platform 
through the air, through the canopy, flying down the side of the mountain, out into the lake where you would splash down out in the lake and then get up, unhook, and do it again. And everyone would shout, one, two, three, go. But on this particular trip down the mountain, Holly climbed to the top of the tower, climbed to the top of the telephone pole, was hooked into the, uh, hooked into the zip line. The guide who was there checked her equipment, and she threw herself off, one, two, three, go, jumps off the platform. And as she jumps off the platform, she decided that this time, instead of holding on, she was just going to sit in her body harness on the way down. But as soon as she began to sit in her body harness, the ropes went and began unraveling around her carabiners. At which point, swinging with all of her might, she reaches up, grabs hold of the two handholds, and with every ounce and fiber of her being, clings on for dear life as she flies down the edge of the mountain and into the lake below. Well, Holly is here this morning. (laughs) She made it. (laughs) Yet with every ounce and fiber of our beings, there are things in life that we cling to. Things in life that we hold on to with all of our might and all of our strength. Things that we hold on to to garner blessings in our lives that only God can give us. Things that we cling to to gain, I don't know, what is it that you're after? To gain approval? To gain acceptance? To to have somebody say to you that, yes, you count, your notice, your life is worthwhile, your your life is meaningful, your life has purpose? I don't know, what is it for you? But there are things in life that we cling to to garner blessings and to gain blessings that only God can give to us. And here we see Jacob, who has lived his entire life clinging to himself, clinging to different things that he could grab hold of to gain blessings that only God could give to him. And in it we see that instead of clinging to all these other counterfeits, We must cling to God and to him alone, who is the true source of blessing for us. Let's enter into the story. We find Jacob. The text tells us that Jacob was all alone. Well, what's happened since we last left Jacob? Jacob went on a 500-mile journey to get a wife. He did. He actually got two wives because his uncle, who he was marrying his daughters, swindled him is that in Laban, his uncle, he actually met his match, someone who was more deceptive and, and had better tricks than Jacob himself had. And so after some, you know, 14, 15 or more years of working for his uncle, Jacob became rather wealthy. But there was a tension that broke out between Jacob and his uncle Laban. And so Jacob decided that in order to get away, he would flee. So he packs up everything, he takes his herds, and he heads out, and he runs away from Laban in order to get away from him, in order to escape. Well, Laban hears that he's actually running away from him, so he sets out after him, Laban and his men. And after several days' journey, Laban and his men actually overtake Jacob and said to say to him, why did you run away? Why did you escape? Why did you do this? And Jacob said, well, we want to go back to my, I want to go back to my father's land. He goes, well, why did you do it this way? They have a dispute. They finally come to a settlement. They say, we're going to set up a pillar here. And what this pillar means is that there is peace between you and me. But if you cross on my side or I cross on your side, it's a declaration of war. Agreed? Agreed. So that's what they do. 
They each part off their separate ways. Jacob heads off. There's peace between them as long as they don't cross the boundary. But Jacob cannot go backwards. But ahead of him is his brother Esau. And his brother Esau, the last encounter that the two of them had, was him um, deceiving his father to get his blessing. And Esau swore that he would kill Jacob, that he would kill him. Knowing that this was about to happen, Jacob, in preparation for this, sends gifts to his brother Esau. He sends herds and goats and flocks and camels, and he sends them to him as, as gifts to appease him. And the word that he gets back is that his brother Esau has received these gifts and is now coming to meet him with an army of 400 men to come at him. And Jacob is utterly terrified. So this night, he is about to meet Jacob the next day. This night, he has decided to separate all that he belongs into two different camps. That way, if Esau attacks one, the other camp can survive. After separating into two different camps, he takes his family, he pulls them together, and they go across the river. And then apparently it seems that Jacob then crosses back the river, back across the river by himself. And there he is in the dark, utterly alone, completely terrified, having an enemy behind him and a sworn enemy in front of him. And there is Jacob out there in the middle of the night. It is as he is out there in the middle of the night, completely alone, that suddenly something or someone grabs hold of him and throws him to the ground and begins wrestling with him. And the fight ensues. And this one who is wrestling against him is determined that he is going to prevail against him. And this is where we enter into the story. First thing that we see about the way that God relates to us, God relates to his children, is that God wrestles his children. Verse 23, Jacob took them, his family, he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Later we see that this man is God himself who is wrestling with him. And if there is any other doubt or question, when God wrestles us, he wrestles us to win. And it says here that the two of them wrestled all night long. Now mind you, Jacob is probably in his 90s at this point. And the two of them are wrestling all night long. Someone I knew who was a wrestler, you know, a typical wrestling match, competitive wrestling match lasts six minutes. Someone who was a wrestler said that they had, after going through one wrestling match, they were more exhausted than playing an entire game of football. And here is Jacob wrestling against this man all night long. You see, at that point, when someone is wrestling and and fighting that long, it's not about physical endurance anymore. I mean, they are way past the point of exhaustion, way past it. But what is it about? There's only one thing that would keep Jacob wrestling. There's only one thing that would keep him fighting and fighting and fighting all night long, and that is a heart that is so hard and a heart that is so determined to not be beaten. A heart that is so determined to not let God prevail against him. Indeed, that's what the text says in verse 25. It says, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. That is, by wrestling Jacob, God was not able to prevail against him. The term prevail is a military usage in Hebrew. It's a military term. 
What it means is that if there is a military or an army that could not prevail against a city, what that meant was that army could not prevail against, it could not break down the fortifications of that city. It could not get through the walls. It could not get through the barriers of that city. It could not prevail against it. And by wrestling Jacob, God was not able to prevail against him. My friends, there are times when winning is much worse than losing. Having a heart that is so hard, to have God himself wrestling against you, having a heart that is so hard that even God himself cannot prevail against it is a victory you do not want to have. Having a heart that is so stubborn, so determined in sin, knowing that God is wrestling against you is a horrible victory. There's a seminary classmate of mine in whom God was wrestling and in whom he did not prevail against her by wrestling. She had had a remarkable story of the way that God had changed her life. About halfway through her coursework as she was studying to be a counselor, she got involved in some, this illicit relationship, started pursuing all of her desires, all of her sexual exploration that she wanted to go into. And the remarkable thing about her was that she characterized it that God was wrestling with her about this. That was her own self-characterization. And she said that she knew what she was doing was wrong. She said she knew what she was doing was wrong, and she said, you know, and I don't even care anymore. I don't care if the seminary kicks me out. I don't care if the church does. I don't care about these things. I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. And what happens is she knew God was wrestling with her, but she was determined to win. She was determined that God would not prevail against her, and yet to this day it seems that she still has. Where is God wrestling with you? Yes, for some, it is in the realm of illicit relationships, whether with a person or a computer screen, that you have determined that you are not going to back down, that you don't care. Yeah, I know this is wrong. Maybe it's not this big of a deal, but you're determined. You know what? God's wrestling with you, but you're saying, I'm going to continue on my own course. I'm going to continue on my own way. And you know that God is wrestling with you. There's others of you that God is wrestling with you in your self-sufficiency, where you are not wanting to give up control in your life. You're not wanting to give up control. You're not wanting to yield. Let me just urge you that this is a victory that you do not want to have. Secondly, what we see is what happens when we wrestle with God and win. What happens when God does not prevail against us? And what the text here shows us that if God does not prevail against us by wrestling us, he will prevail against us by breaking us. Because God wrestles his children and God breaks his children. Now, why would he do this? Let's look at the text, verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And the man said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Is that God breaks his children. And God will break us to reveal to us the extent 
of our wretchedness. And God broke Jacob to reveal to him what a wretch he was. You see, Jacob was determined to fight against God. He was determined that God wasn't going to win, that God wasn't going to pin him to the ground. And after wrestling all night long, God had enough of it, and he wasn't going to have any more. And so, with a simple touch of his hip, Jacob's hip is dislocated. His hip is yanked out of its socket as he is dislocated. What does that mean? It means that Jacob is a broken man. It means that Jacob is no longer able to wrestle. You are talking about one of the most excruciation, excruciate, excruciating inflictions of pain that you can put upon someone of having their hip physically ripped out of its socket. Jacob's not wrestling anymore. And here it is that God breaks Jacob. And it is at this moment when Jacob is completely broken that God asks him a question. What is your name? Kind of funny, is it not? They're wrestling all night long. He breaks him and he says, what is your name? Here's what God is doing is that God is getting Jacob to confess who he truly is. This wasn't the first time that Jacob has been asked this question. There's another time some years before, some decades before, when Jacob put on his brother's clothes and covered his arms in goat's hair to look like his brother, and he went in to steal his brother's birthright, and his father said to him, Who are you? What is your name? And he said, My name is Esau. But it is here at this moment that God in his, is breaking Jacob and gets and is forcing Jacob to confess his true character. What is your name? Jacob. I am Jacob. I am the deceiver. I am Jacob, the usurper. I am Jacob, the self-reliant thief. I am Jacob, the deceiver, which is what his name meant. And it was by breaking Jacob that Jacob finally professed the wretch that he is. There's a man by the name of John who grew up working on boats. As he grew up and became proficient, he eventually became a captain of his own vessel. As the captain of his own vessel, he sought to make as much money as possible, which meant that he went into the slave trade of getting slaves on the coast of Africa, piling them into his boat in deplorable conditions, shipping them across the Atlantic to the Americas where they were sold into slavery and he would go back and do it again and he would go back and he would do it again and he would go back and he would set out and on one of these voyages there was a fierce storm that broke out in the middle of the ocean and waves began to crash over the boat waves crashing over the bow waves crashing over the stern man after man was washed overboard to their death and John tied himself to the boat so that he himself wouldn't get washed over, certain that one of these waves would eventually come and crack the ship in half, and they would eventually drown. But he didn't, and the boat didn't sink. And it was after this experience where God broke John Newton that he penned the lyrics, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
You see, it was in breaking John Newton that God got him to realize the extent of his own wretchedness. It was in breaking Jacob that God got Jacob to realize the extent of his own wretchedness. It is in breaking us, if not by wrestling us, it is in breaking us that God gets us to realize the extent of our own wretchedness. But the reason why he does so is to reveal the true source of our blessing. There's this funny thing in this passage is that people look at this passage, and they, some people refer to it as Jacob's triumph. I even heard one person describing this passage, and said, yeah, you know, I always like this passage of Jacob wrestling with God, because, you know, finally someone puts God in his place. Like, really? Here is the God of the universe, the one who calls stars, puts stars and planets into motion, who causes mountains to form and oceans and waves, the one who, by the breath, caused his breath, caused storms to, to occur. The one who gave Jacob life, who controls him, who controls the past, the present, and the future. That it is this God who condescends himself into this man that is wrestling Jacob all night long. And people say, yeah, I just love the way that, God wrestle, that Jacob wrestles with God. But that's not what the text says. It says that God wrestled with Jacob. You see, it wasn't that God, Jacob was alone, lying on the ground, and God was walking around. And Jacob sees him, and he jumps on top of him, catches him by surprise, and pins him to the ground and says, you need to bless me. It's the exact opposite. It's rather Jacob is completely alone, and the text says that the man wrestled with Jacob, not the other way around. And it is as they are wrestling at this point, at this point, strength for strength, as God is holding him to see if he would prevail against him. And Jacob is determined not to, that God breaks him to reveal the extent of his wretchedness and to show who the true source of blessing is. Because it is when he is broken, when his hip is dislocated, that Jacob is left at this moment a broken man who is clinging to God. Notice verse 25, it says, He touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then the man, God, said, Let me go, for the day is broken. It is at this point that God has Jacob exactly where he wants him. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. You see where Jacob is? He is a broken man. He can't fight anymore. His hip has been dislocated. And he is left there clinging to God, clinging on to him with every ounce and fiber of his being, determined that he is not going to let go because he has finally realized that God is the one source of blessing, that God is the one person that he needs to hold on to, that he needs to stop clinging to himself, but to cling to God and to him alone. He's saying, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And he's holding on to him with every ounce and fiber of being because God is the one and true source of blessing. blessing. And in case Jacob ever forgets, Jacob walked the rest of his life with a limp. And the Jews do not eat the sciatic nerve on the leg of lamb. To remember the night that God broke Jacob. To reveal his wretchedness and to reveal that he alone is the true source of blessing. You see, God pressed Jacob for more. Quite simply, you and I can expect the same. 
Again, there are some of you here that God is breaking you of your self-reliance, that you have felt that you can go through life without God, that you are determined enough, that you are strong enough, that your will can get what you want to achieve. And you're like, you know, religion, God, people who rely on that, that's just a crutch. That's just a crutch, but I'm strong enough. I can do this on my own. And God is breaking you of your self-reliance. And for some of you, you treat God like this cosmic vending machine or the cosmic version of Amazon Prime to help you to get you something when you need something instantly to show up at your house within 24 hours, to get you out of a crisis, to get you through a turmoil. And you're like, okay, God, I need help right now. But a time when the crisis passed, God's nowhere to be seen in your life as you determine to go on in your own course. But let's be clear, God is not in the habit of being used. And he will wrestle you. And if necessary, he will break you to show you One, the extent of your own wretchedness, but moreover, so that you would realize that he is the source of blessing. Now, why does he do this? Is it because God has some superhuman ego trip where he likes to, you know, to break the little people? (laughs) Is that what this is about? No, God wrestles his children, and he breaks his children so that he can bless his children. Look at what happens in verse 28 and following. He said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. God said to him, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And he said to him, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew on the thigh that is on the hip socket. That would be the sciatic nerve, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. See, God wrestles his children, God breaks his children, and so that he can bless his children. Well, how? He blesses us by giving us a new course and setting us in a new course. Jacob was on a course of destruction, both figuratively and literally. He had Laban, a sworn enemy behind him, and Esau, a sworn adversary in front of him. But more than that is that Jacob had been living his life on a course of self-destruction, a course of self-deception, and a course of selfishness, and God sets him on a new course for both not only eternal blessings, but present blessings in his life in that moment. He sets him on a new course, but he also gives Jacob a new character, We see this in verse 28 when it says to him, What is your name? My name is Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. It's that God changes his name. And to change someone's name means that you have authority over that person. And for Jacob, it meant that God was giving him a new character. He's saying, Listen, Jacob, you are no longer a deceiver. You are no longer the usurper. You are no longer Jacob because I have given you a new character. Your name is Israel. Israel is made up of two Hebrews, a compound Hebrew word, Sarah and El. Sarah means fights, strives, wrestles. El being the word for God. And there's this funny thing in this passage that commentators... um, without explanation, reverse the rules of Hebrew grammar for this word and this word alone. Some commentators do. Many don't. And so without explanation, people say, 
Commentators will say, well, what Israel means is that he wrestles God. And in so doing, they reverse the rules of Hebrew grammar. Because you see, in Hebrew grammar, there are other names that follow a similar pattern. Like the name Samuel, which means God hears, not he hears God. And the name Nathaniel, compound word, which means God gives, not he gives God. The name Daniel, which means God judges, not he judges God. The name Israel, which means God wrestles, not he wrestles God. And there it is that Jacob is given this new name, indicating his new character, a reminder to him not only physically but of his night, of the night that he prevailed, has lived a life of prevailing against man and prevailing against God, and God would have no more of it. Of the night that he prevailed against God and finally God broke him until Jacob clung to him. The night that God gave Jacob a new character as he depended upon God and clung to him alone with every ounce and fiber of his being as the one and only true source of blessing. He gave Jacob a new name of Israel so that Jacob would remember who he was and where the true source of blessing comes from. And that if we are determined to prevail against God, that God will wrestle with us and will break us so that he can bless us. And he does so by giving us a new course and by setting us and giving us a new character. That's what happened in my own life. In my junior year of high school, I went from, within a month between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I went from 155 pounds to 130 pounds in four weeks. The day after Christmas, I was hospitalized for five days because I could not keep anything up or down. And I had been going through this cycle for many months beforehand of days of intense and violent vomiting all day long until I was finally hospitalized. After that time in the hospital, I was, um, went on a course of treatment for the next several years with medical professionals that was incredibly beneficial, but on my final checkout, my gastroenterologist reviewed my file, and he said to me, he said, you know, I look back through your file, and I see things here, and I look at your initial diagnosis, and he said, at the time, we had new technology, and I'm just not convinced that we ever really knew what was wrong with you. But what he didn't know was throughout that same time, you could say, is that I had a, a spiritual pathology that was physically killing me. You see, I lived my life clinging to my success, clinging to my performance of being a top student of extracurricular activities out the wazoo, of beating other people and winning. I clung my, to my success and performance to get blessings in my life that I thought by succeeding I could get. Blessings such as acceptance or acceptance from my friends. Blessings such as love and approval from my family. Blessings such as having meaning or purpose in my life. Because I thought that if I, if I was successful enough and if I was number one and if I beat another people, then I would really be somebody. Then my life would really count. Then my life would really have meaning to it. But the problem was is that the stress of that and the determination of that made me sick and I was on a course of physical self-destruction. 
And so it was that in the hospital, between Christmas and New Year's, one night I was lying in my hospital bed alone, and I remember crying out to God, saying to him, God, I give up. I give up. Like, I'm not going to do it anymore. I, I am not going to cling to my success and performance to gain blessings in my life, but I am going to cling to you and to you alone. And that's what I did. And it was through that that God set me on a new course. And he changed my character. He set me on a new course. You see, I'd been living my life trying to gain, find my worth and my value and my performance and my success. But you see, no matter what I did, it was never enough. There was always someone who was better. There was always somebody who had done more. And I was on this course of destruction, this course of self-destruction, this course of physical self-destruction. But what happened is but by clinging to God and realizing who I was in Jesus Christ and what he had done through his death and resurrection on the cross, that he, that through his death on the cross, that he purchased me, that he rescued my soul from the pit of hell, that he, that therefore, that now that I am not my own, for my life has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I saw that my life and my worth and my value is found in Jesus Christ, in him alone, in whom I stand as one who is approved, who is forgiven, who is not condemned, but who has the pleasure and approval and acceptance of my heavenly Father. And not only did God set me on a new course, but he changed my character. You see, as before this, I was very bitter and envious of other people. I was very bitter and envious of other people, particularly those that beat me, and good friends who did better than me at certain things, or family members who were more successful than I was because I saw that life only had value if I was number one. And so what happened is that in my character, I was bitter and envious of people around me. But God changed that, and he helped me to see that now that my success isn't what defines me, but what defines me is Jesus Christ and who I am in him. And what that means is that I saw God change my character because inexplicably to me, I could see that I was having joy in the success of other people. I was delighting to see other people do better than me. Not because I wasn't trying hard, but because they genuinely beat me in certain things and that filled me with joy and I could rejoice and I could celebrate for them, and I could celebrate with them because I finally understood and accepted that success is not the source of blessing in my life, but Jesus Christ alone. And it's not simply for those of you like me who are looking for success in your life, but God and Jesus Christ alone is the source of blessing for whatever it is that your heart is after. Whether it is for meaning, whether it is for love, whether it is for peace and security in your life, it is all the promises of God are yes and amen and in Jesus Christ. And for each one of us who turns and clings to him, and to clings to him alone, God changes our course. A course from self-destruction. A course changes from a course of selfishness, from a course of eternal destruction and eternal punishment from self-destruction to a course of eternal life and life abundant that can begin today. And not only did he change as he changed your course, but he's also changed our character. Scripture says that apart from Jesus Christ, you are enemies of God. But through Jesus, he has made you friends and adopted you as his children. 
through Je- apart from Jesus Christ, you are hostile to God and enemies of him. But through Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. And he has given you a heart. He has removed from you a heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. And it is through this relationship with Jesus Christ and being found in him through clinging to the promises of God. And yes, it's the same promise that Jacob was clinging to, although it's been developed further through Jesus Christ. Clinging to the very same promise that it is in Jesus Christ that all of these things come together. And through trusting in him and finding yourself holy in him, it is that alone that will give you meaning and love and purpose and acceptance and peace. You see, God wrestles us, and God will break us so that God can bless us. So let us cling to him with every ounce and fiber of our being. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Father, there are some people here who are in the epic battle of their lives. There are some people here whom you have been wrestling, who have been determined to win, who have been determined to prevail against you. Father, in your mercy, in your severe mercy, and in your love, Father, would you break them? Father, would you break us? Father, would you break me? The places in my life that I cling to other things and look to other things to bring me joy, peace, and happiness apart from you. In areas of my life where I don't think that I need you or that I'm good without you, Lord, would you break us? Father, there are some here There are many of us here who need your divine intervention in our life to break down the fortifications of the hardness of our heart, of the callousness of our own sinfulness. And Lord, we know that you only do so, not so that we would wallow, but so that we would let loose the counterfeit things in our lives. And that we would cling to you and to you alone as the only source of blessing. As the one alone who gives our life meaning and purpose. As the one alone who gives us forgiveness. As the one alone who covers our shame and bestows us with dignity. As the one alone who delights in us and approves in us. Not because of what we have done or what we haven't done, but wholly because of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would send your spirit. That you would grab hold of my brothers and sisters and friends who have gathered here today so that they would cling to you and to you alone. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our source of blessing, we pray. Amen.